fussing. I'll tell you what, it's, uh, you sit there and watch a wedding like that, and one of these days, the Lord's going to come back and get us, and we're going to have one too. Uh, it's going to be, be another one. It's nothing like, like uh, and then we go get lunch for seven years. That's going to be the best meal you ever seen in your life. Take your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 22. It's just a, you get a wedding like that and you just watch everything that happens. And uh, you just want everything to go smooth. Because you know in heaven, uh, I don't know who orchestrates the entire wedding. I'm sure the Lord does. The Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, they're all making sure everything flows exactly like it's supposed to flow. We had tape all over the place where everybody knew exactly where to stand. In heaven, you won't have to worry about knowing where to stand. Uh, you will you will just know exactly where to be. You'll know your place. You'll fit right in. You'll you'll have the mind of Christ. You'll know everything you need to know, uh, and it'll just be fun. And and we had fun. Uh, we went through some rehearsals on Friday night, which we typically do, uh, and it's the exact same way as total chaos for about the first five or six minutes, until somebody steps up and takes charge, and then everything starts laying out and starts falling into place. And after a couple times through, uh, everybody's happy and and good to go. Uh, it, it was good. It was good. And then, and then uh, Saturday, the wedding just happens. It's great. Uh, I tell you what, Brother Dave went to his funeral on Thursday, and it was amazing how much stuff uh, that you do not know about people until they die, which you would you wish you could know it a little bit more. But in life, I mean, after 70-something years, 80 years, you just can't know everything unless you're around people. That's why you need to go somewhere and just sit there. Brother Siler told me one time, he said, Mike, go somewhere and sit for like 20 years. And he goes, and they will see you. They will know you, and they will know where to come to find you. He goes, the problem is that everybody scoots all over the place, and nobody knows anybody anymore. Uh, churches used to be in a little town, man. Churches used to go to church, and you were in that church. You are born in that church. You died in that church. They planted you out in the churchyard. And uh, it's just amazing. You're out there with grandma, grandpa, and everything else. Now uh, we're all scattered all over the place, and it's hard to tell them where anybody is anymore. But you need to get in your head that, hey, I'm going to go somewhere and find it. You know I like my Bible? Everybody in my Bible is always in my Bible. I start reading Genesis, and Adam and Eve are still in, Ad in Genesis. And when I get to Revelation, they're all still there. Good guys, bad guys, all the way through. Uh, I know where I can go and find stuff. Anyways, Genesis chapter 22. Father, thank you for your blessings this morning. Thank you for everything that's occurred this week so far. Uh, we get to a little reprieve for a couple months. Uh, Lord, uh, get back to some normal things in life. Uh, Lord, I just pray now that you'd bless our little church. Use us, uh, Lord, for your honor and your glory. And Father, uh, help us to be a ministry, uh, a work in this little town, and help us to reach out and uh, touch the people of the community. Uh, Lord, there's still people out there that need to get saved. Uh, Lord, there's still people that uh, need to be lifted up and encouraged. Lord, there's just so much stuff uh, that needs still to be done. Uh, Lord, uh, in your time, you'll come back on the day that you want to come back, the moment you want to come back, and you'll get us out of here then. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to continue on, and we'll praise you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you're into one of the parts of the Bible, probably one of my favorite parts, when it starts, favorite starting parts. Uh, all the rest of it up to this point has been leading up to uh, this chapter, and the Lord is getting ready to start doing some things. And, uh, and, and I want to preface this by don't place yourself necessarily in Abraham's shoes uh, until you get to the place where you're in Abraham's shoes. Uh, sometimes you can get discouraged and you'll say, well, I'm not like this. Oh, there's no hope for me. Ah. And you'll get the desire or the, the thought in your head to quit. And you can't quit because you, you haven't reached where the Lord wants you to be. 
we're, we are all not great men, and we're all not lousy men. There's, there's beggars by the rich man's gate that soars all over him, and then there's the Apostle Paul. I mean, there's, and there's everybody in between. So don't, don't let it get to you as you're reading your Bible. I mean, don't ever get discouraged because you can't do what somebody else does. Uh, you just may not be there quite yet. I didn't say that you don't want to strive to be there. But don't let it get you down. And it came to pass, verse 1, and it came to pass after these things, that God did tempt Abraham. I talked about this last, last time. And said unto him, Abram, and he said, Behold, here I am. That's the first thing you always want to do is you want to say, Lord, I'm, I'm available. Here I am. What do you want? I'm listening. Uh, tempted is not, uh, he, everybody says, oh, he tempted him. No, it's tried. It's, it's a tried. Uh, Hebrews eleven seventeen says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, I mentioned this last time, too, to be strong, prosperous, and content. Trials and tribulations must come. you got to go through them. I wish, I wish there was a way I could say you're not going to go through it, but you're going to. Uh, that's just such as life. Uh, you say, well, you make light of it. No, I don't make light of it. I've been doing it for 42 years. I've talked to a lot of other preachers that's done it years longer than me, older people that's done it longer than me, and they all say the same thing, trials and tribulations. doesn't matter whether you serve God or you don't serve God. Guess what? You're going to have trials and tribulations. Well, if i got to go through trials and tribulations, I think I'd just rather be with the Lord through the process, and I'm, I'm on his side. Uh, it says, brethren, James 1-2 says, my brethren, count it all joy. Now, here's, here's, here's where you start getting into your walk. Count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. Uh, somehow, Christians, we're supposed to have a smile on our face when we go through trials and tribulations. It hurts, I mean, and sometimes it's, the joy, uh, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. You, all the little kid songs. Well, I just see, he, the Lord says over in the New Testament, he says, except you become as one of these little ones. I'm sorry, I, I want them little songs. I, I like them songs. He's still working on me. Uh, you, can, you can throw everything else out. If people say, oh, well, uh, that's a childish song, that's fine, then I'll just stay a child and, and I'll listen to that song. But he says, my brethren, First uh, James 1, 2, Count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of our faith worketh patience. And you want to learn how to be patient. I was, I was told by some people yesterday we were patient. You, we, had, we had some people that came to church yesterday that had never been in this building. And every one of them said the same thing. How do you guys all get together and, and like each other? And it's just such a blessing to see everybody working together. These are These are... I'm, I'm sure they were lost people. Uh, I could be wrong, but I know one or two of them were lost. And they looked at the crowd and everything that was going on in the crowd, and they said, how can you people get, get along together? Because we was all here for one purpose. There was a, a, young, a young lady and a young man got married yesterday. Uh, you strive for peace the best you can. Uh, that's exactly what we did on both sides. We, we worked that thing out to get it all through. When it's all said and done, mom and dad on both sides were happy. Uh, the young couple was happy. Pretty much everybody else was happy. I didn't see nobody else that was sad. There was plenty of food to go around for everybody. Uh, I think there's even some back there for today somewhere. I mean, if you're not looking for lunch, I'm not inviting you for lunch, but uh, there's a good chance that they will have lunch here today, and, and uh, there's going to be a lot of food left over back there. And, and you say, what was that? Well, that was just a good time. I mean, it was a good time. Uh, I enjoyed being here yesterday. I enjoyed it. Why? Because I got to watch a young, uh, that young lady's been in our church, oh man, I watched her when she was six, seven years old, five, six, seven years old, uh, the street, I went up on the street up there one time, they were all fighting, uh, there's two or three families live on the street, 
And they were all fighting with each other, and I'm sitting there going, what is this? I'm like, how in the world could this possibly be? You think love, joy, peace, happiness, all that other stuff, you know. And then years later, uh, they're best friends. And you sit there and watch them, and all these young ladies are up here singing, and you see them all the time, you say, what is it? Well, that's just, it's trials and tribulations. You know, if you'd have quit five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago, you'd never seen that. If you just walk away from the troubles, you never see that later on down the road. I got 42 years of this stuff, and I'm watching, I look back, and I'm like, I'm, not, I'm just too far to quit. Uh, you can't quit. You just can't quit. If you do, it's, it's, you're a quitter. I just don't want to quit. He says, know this, that the trying of your faith works with patience. But let patience have her perfect work. You need patience in this life to get through. Some, some of the craziest stuff in the whole wide world is just, it's, the whole thing's insane. And if you don't get some patience, you, you're just not going to make it. That ye may be perfect and, ent uh, and entire, wanting nothing. What do you do? Uh, why do we count all joy? Uh, we know that pain is inevitable, but trials. But in trials, we learn that misery is optional. Uh, it, you don't have to have misery. Uh, you can have pain, but you don't have to be miserable. Uh, you got to learn to laugh at yourself sometimes. Sometimes you just go through trouble. But anyways, we'll go on. Uh, James, uh, we also grow exponentially when tribulation comes. Tribulation makes you grow. Almost every single time in the last 42 years, I've watched the Lord do something in my life. He, he has not put on me what he did when I was saved 40 years, what he put on me when I just got saved. He didn't do that. He, he took little by little chunks. And now all of a sudden, I, you sit there and say, Lord, I can't do that. He goes, oh, sure you can. It seems impossible today, but... You could just, we're talking about Abraham here. He's getting ready, the Lord's getting ready to ask him to do something uh, that you would think that would be impossible. But Abraham's not uh, a newbie on the block. He's been around this thing with the Lord. And he's watched the Lord do some things in his life. And uh, I got a little note here. Endurance makes kings and queens out of children of God. If you're going to ever be a king with the Lord, if you're ever going to be a queen, uh, you're going to have to go through some stuff. I mean, and that's in this lifetime. Uh, when we get to heaven, uh, all, we're all going to be there at the same time. Each one of us gets different rewards. I don't know exactly what anybody's going to get. That's between you and the Lord and what you do while you're down here. Uh, Aiden Rogers said this, If you do not bear the cross, you can't wear the crown. Don't even think you're going to get the crown. I mean, brother, it's, it's, it's just a trial. Life is a trial. Now, there's fun all through it. I've had fun for 42 years. I don't want to make it sound like you're always sitting there going, Oh, here's another one. Here's another one. Oh, here it comes. Here's another one. No, it's not that way. Uh, just like yesterday, we had that wedding. That was a blessing. I got to sit down and think, you know, here, here it is uh, 15 years ago. I had an old preacher. He uh, came in here. He's kind of, uh, initially was kind of grumpy. And uh, he said, how long you been doing this? I said, oh, about 16 years. And he goes, how old are you? I said, 64. He goes, you don't look 64. He's all gray-headed and just gnarly looking. He goes, you don't look 64. He said, I'm 70. You don't look like you're 64 at all. I said, I let my wife take all the burden. I don't do none of that stuff. So that's why she's that's why she colors her hair. I don't have to color my hair. I don't even think about it. I said, I don't even care. <laughs> he started laughing. By the time we left yesterday, he was laughing. He came up, we started talking. And I asked him about some stuff. And, and he goes, he goes, he was saved on a bus route. His mom was saved on a bus route. Uh, he said, my mom, they didn't have a car till they were nine. He was nine. Uh, he's 70 years old now, and he didn't have a car until he was nine. It wasn't that he couldn't drive, they just couldn't afford one. And uh, the church he went to had 167 buses. Now, brother, that's a lot of buses. And uh, so I'm just sitting there thinking, so I asked him, I said, hey, 
what do you think about a bus route today? He goes, it'd be tough. He goes, back then, he said, when we did it back then, he goes, and I was on a bus route, and, and I eventually became a bus captain and did some buses and stuff. He goes, people were moral. They, the parents were moral. He said, but today they're crazy. He said, you're, the parents are messed up, and you're going to get the kids, and they're messed up. And you got to, so, but, but the Bible in Acts says you got to serve your generation. So somehow, church, we got to figure a way to reach this generation where they sit. Uh, we can't apply what they had 100 years ago to them today. It won't work. You can't apply what happened 15 minutes ago pretty much to anybody today because it's already changed too much. What you got to do is you got to figure a way out. And you know what you do? You say, how do I do that? You go through things in life. And guess what? It makes you figure out how to get through stuff. You know how I learned electronics? The best way I learned electronics? I'd blow stuff up. You say, what? I just didn't let nobody know I blew it up. I just blew it up, and then I fixed it. <laughs> Once I blew it up, you've got to find something wrong. And the best way to find something wrong is to blow it up. If you blow it, now, I didn't intentionally blow it up, but I just kept going and going and going until something went boom. And the moment I found the thing that went boom, I'm going, oh, look, that's broke right there. I can fix that. Why would that go boom? And then that would lead me to something else. You'd find out what caused the whole problem. People think, oh, you're a genius. <laughs> no, I'm not. I just, I'm just persistent. That's all it was. Just you just... If you stick around something long enough, you'll figure the thing out. It's just that simple. Verse 2. Uh, oh, I want to read this last statement here. Endurance brings us to the place where we need nothing but the Lord. That's really where you want to get in life. You don't need anything but Jesus. Uh, when we learn there is no necessity that God is... Uh, we, we learn that there is no necessity, necessity that God is unable to meet. You're going to get ready to get into something here that God asked Abraham to do. And he asked him to do this down the road in his life a little bit. And God is, is really looking for people to step up to the plate and do something similar to this. Not necessarily their, put their kids up, take them up on, on the side of a mountain somewhere and sacrifice them. But he's going to look at you to do something sometimes. Uh, missionaries are called, evangelists are called, preachers are called, uh, uh, Walking with Jesus Christ for a lifetime is a calling. Uh, I, think it's just, I think it's more important to have a bunch of people walking for Jesus Christ than have a preacher called out. Uh, you only need one preacher for a church. We got multiples. But boy, you know what you need in a good church? You need a lot of people doing a lot of stuff in the community and everywhere else and getting the word of God out. That's really what our job is. It's, it's nothing more than that. Uh, if you ever get to that place where you think, well, I, I'm not like so well, you're not supposed to be like so-and-so. And I'm telling you, you don't want to be like so-and-so unless the Lord puts you and enables you to do it. It'll drive you crazy. Verse 2, and he said, and he said, this is what the Lord, he looks down. He says, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Uh, I was reading Doc's commentary, and, and he swears up and down, and I, I'm pretty much right there with him. When David uh, sinned and, and he numbered the people, he went down and got the, uh, that, that uh, area where he uh, sacrificed, and he said right there is probably where Abraham was. That's where the future temple's going to be sitting, and the Lord probably put Isaac right there. No friend of God. Abraham's called the friend of God, the friend of God, the friend of God. Everybody wants to be called the friend of God. No friend of God has been really tried until he has been tried on the things that he loves. 
You know what God's going to do? He's going to look down on what you love. And he's going to say, would you give that for me? Now, there'll be a reason for it. It's just not that he's some rude and crude and socially unacceptable uh, God out there. That First of all, you've got to first believe he's there. Nobody would do anything unless they believe he's there. Uh, he, says, he says, and he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac. The Lord does not include Ishmael into this picture. He doesn't even count Ishmael as a son when it comes to Abraham and Isaac at this point. He's looking at a bloodline that's going down through Sarah and Isaac and all the way to Jesus Christ. And when he's looking at his son, he's looking at Isaac. The Lord looks down on the world and he sees a lot of stuff. Everybody says, well, why does the Lord let everything go on? Because some of this stuff he just don't care about. It doesn't matter to him one bit. Guess what? The world's wicked. It didn't sneak up on the Lord at all. Nothing snuck up on him. He knows the world is wicked. He's not going to get a, in, involved in it right now at this particular moment. You know what he's involved in is our lives. And you know what he wants us to do is go out there and be a testimony so that will light up the rest of the world. You're the light of the world. That's what we're supposed to be. And through us is where he gets out there to the people. But people choose exactly. Guess what? You and I choose exactly what you want to do. Abraham's got a choice here. He can choose to do what he wants. He says, take thy son, thy only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee to the land of Moriah. God's going to check on what you love. He didn't use Ishmael. If he used Ishmael, Abraham probably wouldn't have had a problem. But he didn't use Ishmael. He's not even considered a son. Hebrews 11.7 says, Abraham is sitting here. Now, this is what I was saying a few minutes ago. Abraham knew before he ever walked to that mountain, and he even started, before he got his two servants, before he did anything, he knew that if I take Isaac to that mountain where the Lord just told me to take him, that he's go I'm going to come again. Abraham knew that. There wasn't anything in his mind. That he, you and I may not be at a place where when, if, if you felt like the Lord was telling you to do something, you know, like you'd get scared. I, I don't know to do that. I, I'm not sure. You've got to get to the point in your life where your walk with the Lord is your walk and nobody else's. You might hear get tired of me saying uh, it's fellowship, it's fellowship, it's relationship. Your walk is strictly a relationship between you and Jesus Christ, period. Mine started in, I think mine started before 1980. Man, I, I stood there and looked back when I got, before I even got saved, I could see the hand of God working in my life. Now I look back and see those things. I didn't see them too much, and I couldn't, I couldn't actually attribute that to the Lord back then, but now I'm looking at that thing thinking, Lord, I can see you, you protecting me all the way through there and get me through stuff that I would have never thought that you'd have got me through, but here, I, here you did. Until that night on the back porch, I trusted you as my Savior. And when I did that, my whole life changed right there. And what I kept doing is trusting him, and I just threw everybody else out the window. Why? Because nobody, you know why at 22 years old I realized? Nobody helped me up to the time I was 22 finding Jesus Christ that I thought. I said, well, then I am not going to trust anybody from this point forward to, I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to, and, and the Lord, I think he's kind of laughed in heaven, says, okay, if that's the case, I'm going to make sure you believe that book's the word of God. I believe the King James 1611 is the infallible word of God. You can take the other 230 pieces of, of literature out there and take them somewhere else, do whatever you want to do with them. Uh, they have changed them. They have manipulated them. They have done whatever. Uh, a, a great one's the New World's translation. Joel Witnesses use it. They changed the Bible to match their religion so they could do what they want to do. Almost everybody out there does the exact same thing. <coughs> they just can't trust God. If you just trust God and say, well, you go, how do you know the King James Bible? I didn't. 
I just trusted the Lord. And he walked me through four years of tribulation and trials, and he got me to a place where I just said, I'm done. And he showed me the King James Bible's Word of God. If you can't trust the book that's in front of you, how are you going to trust anything else? They got evolution, all that other stuff. That's, when you sit there and look at it, I mean, you got to have more faith to believe in evolution than, than to believe that God did it. Honestly, uh, evolution to me is just a scapegoat to get, a, get away from dealing with life. Uh, people just don't like dealing with life. Affections. Affections determine decisions, and de decisions determine destinations. If your affection is on the right thing, your destination will come out the right place. You know what's wrong with a lot of young people today? They, and old people too now. I'm going to take it all. Uh, you know what's wrong with people today? They let their affections dictate where their destination is. Instead of getting the destination down first, I did it all backwards. I do everything backwards. I knew that my destination was heaven. So if I take it backwards, if my destination is heaven, then my decisions need to be based on where my destination is going to be, which is heaven. If heaven is where I'm supposed to be, then my affections need to be based on my decisions, that my decisions were already based on my destination. Did you get that? I go backwards. I look at my desk. I read a book. The Lord stuck a book called Pilgrim's Progress in my hand. And when I read that book and got all the way through, I realized my destination was heaven. So if I'm going to make decisions, they're going to be based on where I'm headed. I'm not going to make a decision based on where I think I might go or what I think I'm going to do. I'm going to make my decision based on that. Then my affiliations and my affections are going to be based on that decision. I just refuse, I refuse to go the other way. If I start letting my affections get in the way, you know what I'll do is I'll mess up. Because all of a sudden, I'll, oh, that's my mom. I got a nephew that... Went to prison, been in prison for a long time. He got out. Uh, and she keeps saying, well, he didn't do really, he didn't mean, he didn't. I said, no, he did what he did. Uh, oh, he didn't. I said, Mom, I'm not mad at him. I'm not mad at him all. I talked to him. I'd help him any way I could. But he did what he did, and he paid for what he did. It's just like all the rest of us. And if we kid, kid well, yeah, but, 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 no, you set your affections on him, and now you're justifying everything he ever did. And you can't do that. you got to watch that thing. Your affections will get you in trouble. That's the bad thing about moms. Moms and dads, man, they'll put their affections on their kids, and they won't look at the right. What is right? Right is right. I'm sorry, right is right. Uh, you can love them. I didn't say you couldn't love them. I didn't say you could. But right is right and wrong is wrong. And, and how do you do that? Well, your destination. Your destination should be heaven. If your destination today is anywhere but heaven, I'm telling you, you're going in the wrong direction. You, you need a map to get you. Your GPS won't get you there. Uh, GPS only works on this planet. After this planet, the GPS is dead. This gets you away from there, man. It gets you away. Anyways, back to, back to this. If a man has never been tested on the point of what he loves most, he has never been tested at all. You've got to be tested. You have to be tested. Uh, the Lord's going to look at you and like, okay, it hurts. Believe me, I mean, if anybody knows what pain is, the Lord Jesus Christ knows what pain is. If anybody knows what rejection is, the Lord Jesus Christ knows what rejection is. If anybody can tell you how to get through this life and go through the th trials you're going to go through and losses and everything else, the Lord Jesus Christ. He looked out over Jerusalem and wept. Why? Because he sees their condition and they don't see it. 
He come up to Lazarus' tomb and looked in, and here's Mary and Martha, and they're both crying, and he sees, and, and he already sees, and he groans inside. He knows exactly what he can understand. He said, we are not, uh, we, we are not touched with the feelings. <sighs> Hebrews, 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 Hebrews. We have a high priest which, oh, man, my brain just went jello. We have not a high priest. Where is it? Where is it? I think it's like... Is it, is it, is it, is it, my tongue is, that's Abraham, no, no, I think it's like six or seven. For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, we are in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us boldly come on under the throne. Man, somebody else should have already throw the verse out at me. I know it's Hebrews. Yep, I'll come back to it. And it says, who? Four, I didn't go back far enough. I knew it was early. 415. For we have not a high priest, thank you very much, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly. You know how you come boldly to the throne of grace? You know somebody's been there, done that before you, and he knows exactly how you feel. It doesn't matter how you feel. He knows how you feel. He understands it. If anybody understands it, he understands it. Throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's going to be a time when you need it. Abraham, guess what he needs right now? He needs some help. Mark, Mark 4, 17 uh, you're looking right here. There's a, there's a difference in two people. And Mark 4.17, take your Bible, go over to Mark 4.17 real quick. It's a, it's a story of the sower. I tell you what, it, you get your Bible and, and you read these stories and you really, you need to go back and find illustrations and look at them and see exactly. 4.17. He starts telling uh, in uh, 14, he says, the sower soweth the word. And, uh, and they that are by the wayside. So we're not looking at those by the wayside. The, uh, Abraham is not a wayside uh, uh, person. Verse 16, and, and these are they likewise which are sown in stony ground. You're not talking about somebody stone, sown in stony, stony ground. Uh, you're going to get to verse 18 and 20 is where we're at. And he says, and these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of the world and the uh, deceitfulness of riches. That's a lot. And the lust of other things enter in, choke the word, and it become unfruitful. Here's Abraham. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirty, some sixty, some hundredfold. And he said unto them, Is a candle brought, uh, bought to be put under a bushel or under a bed, uh, or not to be set on a candlestick? So you're a light of this world. You're supposed to be the light. Uh, and Abraham is sitting there, and Abraham had the choice to walk away and say, no, go back to Genesis. He had a choice to walk away and say, no, I'm not going to do this. I can't do this. I, uh, that's my son, my only son. You know, the Lord could take anything from us at any given moment in life. Uh, to withhold anything from him is really uh, not a good decision. Uh, so we are, we are, Abraham is, we are either among the thorns or we're among the good ground. Abraham is in the good ground. And he's going to be doing something. The Lord's going to ask him to do something uh, that's going to be rough. I'm telling you, uh, I'm just glad the Lord don't actually put that stuff on us anymore like he did back there. It's already settled. 
Verse 3, and Abraham, 22-3. The Lord told him what to do. He said, take that son. He, and this is what he does. He, Abraham rise, rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place of which God had told him. Abraham is tested in regards to his love for God. Uh, the faithful, the faithful man will not only be tested, uh, but he will be tested on the things he loves. I mentioned that. He's going to be tested. Uh, God's looking and said, Abraham, are you really, you don't understand necessarily what I'm going to do out in the future. You have no idea what I'm going to do down the road a ways. Uh, you're going to have a son named Isaac. You got him. Isaac is going to have a son named Jacob. Jacob's going to have 12 sons. Judah's going to come out of that. It's going to get all the way down to Jesus Christ. I'm going to have uh, my son. I'm going to come in, in the flesh and I'm going to rule and reign on this, or I'm not going to rule and reign, but I'm going to come on this planet, I'm going to live and die, and they're going to put me on a cross, and I'm going to open up a door that anybody who wants to get to heaven is going to happen, and that's what I'm going to do with you. But you don't know all that. Brethren, sometimes we got to get to the place where we just trust God that he's going to do the right thing, and he's going to get the glory out of that thing no matter what. You ever read about Jeremiah? I'm, I mean, the more I read my Bible, the more I'm seeing this stuff. All the men of God, the great men of God, were all loners by the time they died. Uh, nobody wanted to be around them. Why? Because they had done shed all the stuff of this world, and what they're looking at is what God said. That's all they're looking at. And you know what that tells me? Nobody wants what God wants. And if you want what God wants, guess what? He's going to look down and says, do you really? And he's going to start testing to see if that's what you want. And he's going to bring things in your life so you can get tougher and tougher and tougher. Balovich, I love Mr. Balovich. Balovich was my first commander at that satellite station. I walked in as an E5, never worked a day in my life. He was saying two things. You're either a cheater or you're good, one or the other. <laughs> he didn't know. You know what that guy did? He started loading me down. And he kept loading me down and loading me down. And when everybody else wanted to hate me and just treat me like scum, which was right, I guess. You know, you walk into a bunch of senior E6s and chiefs and senior chiefs and master chiefs, and here comes this little young punk kid who made E5 and he should have never made it, but he did. Who is this kid? Who's this little masked man right here? And Balovich started saying, hey, I'm going to test him. So he said, Elliot, do this. Elliot, do this. And he had his fun. Called me in his office. I mentioned that story where he put a quarter on his desk and made me go get a soda for him. I'm running the satellite station. I got everybody. You ever hear about them guys who the Russian guy, they sold all the crypto stuff to the Russian guys? And they made all this money, you know, and they get locked up and go to prison forever. I had all that stuff in my hands. I was in charge of every bit of that crypto stuff. I had safes full of that stuff. I had copy machines. I could have copied it. I could have sent it to the Russians. Made lots of money. I mean, that was all right. An E5, he gave that all to me as an E5. I should have never had that, but that guy kept dumping, and he kept dumping. And, and, and the more pressure he put on, the more I could shine. And the more he put on, the more I shined. I would not have been able to do any of that stuff unless he did that to me. I, I look back at all that stuff back in history, and those were men and women back through my life that actually did stuff to, to get me. I remember seeing Jerry Franklin walking on the ship the first day. He goes, Elliot, I never met the guy before. I'm sitting there going, Pills, Elliot. Reporting for duty, sir, don't call me sir. Yes, senior chief, sir, I won't call you sir anymore, sir, because you don't like sir because you're enlisted, and I know an enlisted person isn't a sir, sir. And I mean, he just laughs, and he, he looks at me like you're crazy. I said, hey, okay, I'm, I just, they want on the ship. He says, you, I'm reading your emails. They said, you walk on water. I knew somebody wanted it. Come here with me. And he goes, here's a problem nobody can fix. Fix it. 
Now, wait, you don't treat somebody like that day one. You know what that was? That was the Lord putting the pressure on. And he, he said, I'm not going to let up. And he never let up. He just don't let up. You know why? Because he's trying to, they say a piece of coal. And I don't know if that's true or not. But if it stays in the ground long enough, it turns into a diamond. Enough pressure gets on. Is that true, Andrew? You're a chemist. Yeah, a lot, a lot of pressure, eventually. So eventually, you know what the Lord's trying to do is get us to be diamonds. So if you're not going to take the test, if you're going to crumple at the test, uh, believe me, there's going to be harder tests down the road. I'm going to encourage you. It's never going to get easier. It's going to get heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. But down the road somewhere, you won't know it anyways. You'll be so used to it. It's like working out. I, I dread working out. I need to find me a, a somebody who is a trainer that has mercy and grace and can look at a fat guy like me and say, okay, we're going to help you. And this is going to take a long time. I mean, but they need to realize it's going to take a long, long, long time uh, because you got to change some thoughts, patterns in the mind and some life, life choices and stuff that I just don't want to change. But I know it needs to be changed, but it's like, you know, you sit there and you need somebody who is going to take time to do it. And, but you know what I know along the way? That's going to be rough. So if you're near skinny today and you want to stay skinny, stay skinny. Don't eat a lot. Don't let it, because in time, it's going to build up on you. But anyways, we'll go on. Uh, his response, Abraham's response, will be to go where God tells him. If you're going to be somebody like Abraham, if you're going to be a friend of God, uh, you're going to be willing to go anywhere God tells you to go, verse 3. The reader will observe uh, uh, the sun in verse 3, the wood, the instrument. He's, gonna, he's, gonna, he's got the knife and everything with him. He goes on right here. He says, uh, he goes, he has the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went to the place that God had told him. He has everything that uh, he needs to do an offering. And in this case, Isaac is plainly the type of Jesus Christ. Uh, if, if you don't get this, if you don't get nothing else out of this passage, uh, what the Lord is doing is he's telling Abraham, he's, he's, the Lord is looking out into the future. He already knows what the future is. And he knows what he's going to do. And he foresees a day out there that he's going to lay down on a piece of wood, the old rugged cross, and he's going to let them drive spikes in his hand. And he's, he's going to be bound to that thing, and he's going to be raised up on that cross. He sees that. Abraham don't see that, but he sees that. And he's going to stay there for six hours on that cross, and he's going to give up the ghost, and he's going to go to a place called hell, and he's going to drop my sins off down there. And then he's going to shoot over to a place called Abraham's bosom. He's going to sit there for three days and three nights. And at the end of that thing, he's coming up. The Lord sees all that stuff. Abraham don't see that. But he tells Abraham, he says, take your son to a mountain, Golgotha, where I want you to be. And take your son Isaac, your only son, whom you lovest, because I'm going to take my son, because I love him, and I'm going to take him to that mountain, and I'm going to put him down, and I want to see if you're going to put your son on a cross. So he takes the wood right here, and you get into verse 3. We'll get there in a few minutes. Uh, Abraham, man, sorry, 543. Abraham has been in a process, and I started this thing, and I said, I want you to understand, you're going through a process in life, and life is just a series of processes. Take your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 4. You need to see this. You need to see it. Uh, you won't get discouraged too bad. Pressure comes on. I like pressure. Pressure's good. Pressure, pressure changes a lot of stuff. I like pressure's good. 414. Four, 418. Let's go to 418. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting nets into the sea, for they were fishers.
And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Now, they didn't have a lot to do at this particular point. They just had to get up out of the boat and follow Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles, go to 814. 8.14, Matthew 8.14. Peter's, Peter's following Jesus, and he's watching some th stuff, and he starts seeing things that are going on. He doesn't get a lot of stuff going on, but he, and, he, and his question's in his mind because he's a Jew, and he's got this stuff, 8.14. His, mom, his, his, uh, his mother's wife is sick, and uh, verse 13, it says, And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way. Uh, as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Peter saw that. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lay, uh, laid and sick of the fever, and he touched her hand, and her fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. So what Peter's watching here is he's watching this particular man do things that nobody else has ever done, and his faith is increasing as he's going down through life. Uh, and as life goes on in our lives, that's exactly what, go to 10-2. Uh, it, 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 the same thing happens to us. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these, the first Simon. So that's Peter. He sits there and, he, and the Lord pulls out, man, that puff you all up. I'm the first. <laughs> I'm the first disciple. I'm the first one he named. I'm Peter upon this rock. No, it's not upon you, you idiot. It's upon him. But could you see the, the puffed up head? James and John, you know, they want to sit at their mom, comes up, oh, I want my kid, I want my son. Uh, Lord, can they sit at the right hand left? No. Why you ask? Because it's emotion. You know what's wrong with Mrs. Mrs. James and John? Emotions. She wants the best for her kids. She's not even thinking about God at that point. She wants the best for her kids. That's normal. It's wrong, but it's normal. <laughs> you know what you ought to do? You ought to say, no, wait a minute. Lord, what would you have me do? Well, my sons, can they just be doorkeepers in the house of God? Can they just be like doorknob polishers? No, you don't want that. We want them to be right there at the throne. We want them to be right up front with everybody else. We want everybody looking at them. Why? Because they're mine. That's pride. That's, that's just that's selfishness. But, but guess what? You have to learn stuff. I bet you later on down the road, Mrs. John and James isn't that way. I'll bet you her heart changes as she gets a little, just like Mary and Martha, the more they get around Jesus Christ and watch him, the more they start understanding exactly what's wrong with us is we're not around Jesus enough to know who he is and what he can do for us. Uh, go to, uh, we looked at 10-2. Did we look at 10-2? Yes, he's named off. Go to, now go to 14, 14. And you see Peter down the road. What I'm trying to get you to see is a growth in Peter's life as he goes down through there. Uh, 14, 14, same thing with Abraham, 14, 28. And Peter answered and said unto him, Lord, if thou bid, he's, he's in a boat and he's out there and the waves are getting really bad and rocking all over the place and he, they see the Lord coming on water. And he says, Peter answers and uh, answered him and said, Lord, if, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, come, and he did. Uh, I don't know about you, but that would really strengthen me just a little bit right there. Uh, even if I stayed on water just for a couple seconds and I could actually walk on the water for just a couple seconds, I don't know how many steps he took. I have no idea, but I mean, that right there would be enough to say, hey, then the fear sets back in. Now, see what we, everybody always wants to pick on Peter. Oh, he just, he sunk. Yeah, but he walked for a little bit anyways. And you know what he's doing? He's growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, just like we do. 
You know why we get frustrated? It's because something happens in our lives that we just didn't expect. And all of a sudden, we get crushed. I hear people all the time, baby Christians, a lot of them, they'll say, well, I can't believe that God, the Lord, just don't take care of all this problem and make sure I got milk in the refrigerator and meat on the table and this and that and this. I never have a flat tire. My car always runs. I never have to put gas in. You know, if you take your car and you change the spark plugs in it and you put an air filter in it and you do everything they said that you would save 150% of the gas and you would have to stop every now and then and drain off the excess. That was funny. That's not true. They tell you if you did all this stuff and you add all that up, how much money you would save. That's not true. Uh, you're still going to burn gas. The most efficient that vehicle ever will be is what it was when it came out of the factory, if it was tuned up right. That's the best you're going to get out of it. Uh, but you've got to get to the place where you realize that life is just not a bed of roses. I wish it was. That's heaven. Heaven is going to be that way forever. We won't ever have to worry about that stuff ever again. But down here, it's not Peter, 1428. Uh, I read that. Go to, go to uh, Matthew 16, 16. Peter's sitting there walking on water. Matthew 16, 16. Verse 15, it says, And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's there, man. He goes, Hey, I know you're the Lord, man. You know, Peter still hadn't got beat up yet and got banged up on a little bit yet, but uh, it's coming in his life. Go to 17, 1 through 4. He's up on this Mount of Transfiguration here, and after six days, Jesus taketh Peter and James. I'm trying to show you how, how Abraham got to the place where he could take his son up on that mountain. It wasn't just that the Lord found Abraham out in the wilderness somewhere, didn't know a thing out there at all, and he said, Abraham, take your son. It wasn't that. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brethren, uh, and bringeth them up into a mountain apart, and he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine. Uh, as the sun, and, and his raiment as white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elijah. So Peter's up on his mountainside at Mount Transfiguration, and he sees Moses and Elijah with Jesus Christ transfigured, and this stuff just is increasing his faith more. There's going to be a trying period here in a little bit to solidify what Peter has just saw and what he's seeing. Uh, go to uh, Matthew. Uh, go down to 69, 1769. Wait a minute, is there a 17? There ain't a 1769. I miss, I must, uh, Matthew 26, Matthew 26. Peter's going to start getting tested here. And all that testing does is it, it brings out the impurities to the surface. And it, what it's going to do is it's going to help Peter, Peter do what he's going to be called to do here in a little bit. Abraham's the exact same way. Uh, Matthew 26, 31. He says, then said Jesus unto them, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock uh, shall be scattered. But after I am risen again, I will go before you in Galilee. Peter, verse 33, answered and said unto him, though all men should be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. You ever messed up? Just once maybe in your whole life, just once maybe? That isn't the end, by the way. You don't have to worry about it being the end. We all mess up. Uh, if it were for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, if it wasn't for the Lord Jesus Christ, could you imagine where we'd be today? Peter is going through here. Oh, let's, let's go. That's getting late. Let me. He, he denies Jesus three times. We all know that. Go to Acts chapter 2. And I'll stop right here. It's stopping time. Acts chapter 2. After all this stuff that Peter goes through, he's, he's starting to get it. 
It's a, it's a process in our lives, brethren, where the Lord has to get you to a place where you're what you should be uh, before he can ever use you. Verse 2, chapter 2, verse 1. And when uh, the day of Pentecost was fully come, there were, there were all with one accord. That's what we were yesterday. That's what people saw when they come in. They see this body of believers all of one accord. You know, uh, we started this thing like 15, 16 years ago. We were just not of one accord 15, 16 years ago. Uh, I don't think we were really one accord eight or nine years ago. I think most of us was of one accord yesterday. Uh, that's like 15 years later. I think we've probably been accord, one accord more than that. But he goes, as is, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, that's what people re recognize. They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house uh, where they were sitting. There appeared on them clothed in tongues, and it goes on from here, and and he gets up on a rooftop, and he gets all fired up. And, and, and as time goes on, you're getting out there a little ways further, and Peter's going to write a couple of books, and, and he's going to get crucified just like Jesus, they say, upside down. And Peter is growing all through that stuff. So when the Lord actually puts every single moment in Peter's life, he's putting more pressure on him. And Peter's picking the load up, and he, and he fails. And when he, when he denied Jesus Christ three times, he ran out and just quit. And, and he thought he was going to quit. He goes out on the seashore, and he's going to fishing, and... John says, hey, the Lord's on the shore, and Peter jumps in, and he gets the thing right with the Lord, and he moves on. And that's really where our lives are. You know where Abraham's at? He's up on the side of a mountain. Why? Because the Lord said, Abraham, take your son. I want to read one verse, and I'll, get, I'll, I'll recover this next week. John 8, 56. John 8, 56. The Lord says this. This is the Lord Jesus Christ talking about Abraham, 8, 56. John 8, 56, and I promise you this one will be it. Uh, 8, 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, talking to Jesus Christ, thou art not yet 50 years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said, before, uh, said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, appeared back on them plains out there, and Abraham on the side one day will come up and eat dinner with him, and a couple of angels sitting there before he sends them down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's sitting there having lunch with Abraham, talking to him, saying, hey, you're going to have a son. Abraham knows who he's talking to. And when the Lord, that same Lord tells him to go up on the side of the mountain, he knows who he's talking to. And he already knows that, hey, the Lord done said this, and I've watched him do this, and Abraham, Mary, uh, Sarah was 90 years old. He said, you're going to have a baby, and she had a baby. And she shouldn't have had a baby. She just had one. And, and now I got this son, and he's telling me to do this, 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 and this. And he said he's going to, as the multitude of stars, sand of the sea, or the sand on the side of the seashore is, and the multitude of stars, so is my seed going to be. He's going to have to bring that boy back to life if I kill him. He's got to. He's got to do something. Abraham's walking up to the side of that mountain with that already in his heart. What a lot of us do, we get to the place in life where we fail. We've never reached where God wants. We try to get there too quick. You know why I like Abraham? He just hung out on the side of a mountain. I can't tell you over 42 years how many people have tried to tell me what I need to do. And I'm sorry, you, I'm, I'm not going to listen to you. Unless you're, you're a, a preacher that is way above my pay grade, and you've, the Lord's convinced me that I need to listen sometimes, uh, and even in that case, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be very careful uh, because you are not going to be there when I need Jesus Christ. Uh, 
and he will be. That's what I'm looking for. And when, when you get to the place where Jesus Christ is going to take care of you, what you got to do is you just got to learn that. That's a learned thing over a period of time. Uh, you know what I think a privilege is? I get to be a pastor of a little church and watch, just like a couple got married yesterday. And this, that's not the first marriage of, um, a wedding we had, but I watch all these young people that are starting to come through. They get a chance. They're getting a chance to get in, to get in. People say, well, you didn't do much. I didn't have to do much, man. I got to do all my stuff 50, for 15, 16 years for that day to occur. And the Lord says, okay, it occurred. How about the next one? How about the next one? How about the next one? And one of these days, the Lord's going to take me out of here. And you know what I hope is that he says is, Mike, while you were there, you did what you could. So that the next generation, I'm not just for young people, but I like young people. Why? Because they're the next generation. They're the ones who's going to have to carry this thing beyond the next place. You know what us older people need to do? Quit being selfish and whiny crybabies and realize that the next generation is the, coming up after us. We need help too. I got it. But they need a whole bunch of help, and we need to help them. And while we got breath and while we can stand up on our own two feet, we need to help them. Father, thank you for your blessings today. I do pray that you bless the morning service, and we'll praise you in Jesus' name.